We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! Good morning, and welcome to episode 255 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Uh, I was going to make a, a Mark Sepchinski joke, but then some other stuff happened. What would the joke have been? Um, I don't know. I hadn't thought it through. I'm sure it would have been would have been good. Based uh, on like like what was the premise? Uh, you know, just that we were going to be discussing some hot trade deadline action, and oh, yeah. that was the only thing that happened for most of the day, which I spent uh, spent the whole day with my fingers poised over the keyboard, uh, waiting for something to happen, and then it never really did, and then now it has uh, at 11 p.m. Eastern. So thank you, teams, for waiting until that hour. So. That's what I also, have to do after yeah. we finish recording. I will be writing. Also, we have this weird mystery of Nelson Cruz coming out of a game. Uh, yeah. Were there handshakes and hugs? No. Uh, so far as I know, there were no handshakes or hugs, but he's apparently very likely to be suspended and not appeal. And it makes you wonder whether, like, baseball is now suspending players in the middle of the game, <laughs> which I would love. Like, like it'd be great if they would just snipe them, you know, like just shoot them with a dart. Yeah. Like midfield umpire hands him a note as he rounds the bases or something. Closest thing that you could come up with to a pit would be a, <laughs> a, 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 a PED dart sniper. Yes. Uh, okay. Today's listener email show and, and maybe tomorrow we'll do a, Maybe we'll do a trade deadline wrap thing and do the traditional winners and losers show. Who knows? Uh, but today we have emails, and we got a ton of emails this week, uh, and we appreciate them all, even if we don't answer them. Sometimes we answer uh, via via email and not via voice, uh, but even if we don't answer, we read all of your emails and appreciate them. And many of them are follow-ups to things that we've talked about on the podcast where people just kind of want to tell us something that we didn't mention or something we were wondering about and they just they just tell us things and we learn it's great uh so thank you for that um all right i have all of these emails to read uh i'll start i guess with with this one from cosmo in iowa city uh who says on tuesday's episode you kicked around the idea of not having a trade deadline at all Let's say that two teams ended the season tied for the division title. Neither had a good enough record to win the wild card, so there will be a winner-or-go-home game 163, which is technically a regular season game. Neither team's ace is available to pitch the deciding game. The best they can probably do is start their number three starter on short rest. Let's say that Felix Hernandez was scheduled to become a free agent at the end of the season and that the Mariners were not going to make him a qualifying offer for financial reasons, so they would not be getting any draft pick compensation when he left as a free agent. The Mariners' season is already complete, and due to the whims of the schedule, he'd be on normal rest for a game 163. At this point, he would have literally no value to the Mariners. He's the ultimate short-term rental. How much could the Mariners get by auctioning him off to the highest bidder among the two teams— with a playoff spot hanging in the balance, he wouldn't be eligible for the postseason, but he might make a huge difference in game 163. Uh, can we just clean this question up? It, sure. There, it makes no sense for the Mariners to ever not offer him, to well, make him a qualifying offer. So They're can flat we, broke. I, They're in debt. 
They have... No, come on. It makes no sense. <laughs> okay. We're just going to clean it up. We're going to tidy it up and say that this is a pitcher who was traded at the trade deadline and therefore okay, sure. cannot be given a qualify. So it's a Felix-type pitcher mm-hmm. who has been traded and cannot get a qualifying offer. Okay. okay. Uh, so you've got a, a limited market. You've just got these two teams. That's, those are the only people who would be interested in buying him. Um, and I guess there's not a ton of leverage because, as he says, he's not worth anything to to his current team anymore. There's a lot of leverage, though, With the, in that two teams. Yes. <laughs> there's two teams, theoretically, who might be going for him. I mean, yes. you can play at those two options. So how much... Uh, so, okay, so let's say it's a, a league average number three starter is what each of these teams has going. How much... What what percentage of victory uh, increase is there from Felix over a, a league average mid rotation guy in one well, game? Well, so a league average mid rotation guy on short rest. So mm-hmm. now you now you're maybe talking about you know a two run swing from him to to Felix over nine innings. Mm-hmm. Probably won't probably won't be nine innings. So maybe it's a say it's a it could be up to a run and a half. Uh, but if you have two teams that are bidding, then you're keeping the other guy from getting him. So it's really a, like a three-run swing mm-hmm. uh, in one game. That's a huge amount of runs. That's like uh, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of runs. Yes. For one game, um, it's a good question. It's a good question that I've been asked before and have asked others before. Um, I, I guess first off, I don't. I don't know. I mean, without the culture of this, it's hard to know. Like, if this were just suddenly legal, do you think that a team would do it? Or would they risk kind of backlash for doing it? I think they would do it. I think they should do it. I think I kind of think more teams should, uh, when they have an impending free agent who maybe they want to bring back or, or re-sign, I, I feel like more teams should, should trade him and say, hey, we want you back, but we're not going to win this year. Um, this doesn't mean that we don't like you. We hope to re-sign you. Uh, yeah. I feel like more teams should should do that as it is. I do too. I find it weird that that doesn't happen more. I like uh, somebody asked earlier this year, and we didn't answer it, a question about trading Cano. Mm-hmm. And um, it just feels like, it, for the most part, if you trade you know, your guy away, it's almost like you fear that you know, you're, you're punting on him. Mm-hmm. Like, but it shouldn't be. You should be able to have that conversation. I guess maybe it's tampering to get too explicit uh yeah maybe um anyways I, I, so what is he worth i don't know what is he worth uh you know i mean if we're talking about a division and not the wild card play yes. i would think for a wild card play in it wouldn't be worth a whole lot right uh i mean it'd be worth half as much <laughs> as uh the division but um i don't know uh name I mean, a prospect it's a, it's and I'll a tell lot you of if, it's a lot of potential Revenue. Would you trade a Would you trade the number seventy five prospect in the game for Felix in one start? Uh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I guess I feel like yes. Uh, would you trade the number fifty? Uh, no. But would, would you? Would I, don't you give... I mean, I don't know what the what the actual real life difference between fifty and seventy five is. Probably not. Not a ton after you get out of the the top, I don't know, 20 or so. It's kind of a a less steep decline from there out. But, uh, I mean, you're you're guaranteed, if you win that game, you're guaranteed at least one series and uh, a couple home dates. And that's a lot of extra revenue and a lot of extra attention. Uh, I don't know whether 
whether it would feel cheap to do this. Like, you know, would it would it feel like less of an accomplishment if you just kind of bring in a ringer from some other team for the last game who has no, well, that, yeah, no attachment to asking. your fan base? That's what I was asking, okay. whether, the cultural, whether the culture would support it. Because uh-huh. I feel like it might. Like I, I, I'm, That's who I wondered about the backlash, is the team trading for uh-huh. a ringer. Okay. Um, but, I mean, I don't it, it feels like it might. It doesn't feel like it would be quite as valuable as making the playoffs on your own mm-hmm. uh, at this point. Um, but it's, it's really it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to, to say in real terms, and it's hard to know whether you would want it. I... I, could you root for a player who had been added for one day? Could you? Could you root? Like, would you have any qualms whatsoever about rooting for that player to to do awesome? I don't think I would. Yeah, I think <laughs> if it were someone, I think 20, yeah. 29, 29 teams would complain, just as twenty nine com- teams complain about anything. Mm-hmm. But I think that the fans would be perfectly happy. I think it'd be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're giving something up. It's not like you're getting him for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what if it were six million dollars? You're not you're not getting prospects. You're just paying six million dollars. <laughs> uh, I I think that would I, I have a feeling that that would be worth it with the potential for for extra revenue in playoff games and selling you know division winner hats and shirts and all that extra stuff. I feel like that would probably even out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if it would. I, six million seems a little steep, but. Uh, it's it feels different to me doing and it. And there's at least I think cash. people have who've studied this have found that there's like a year after effect to making the playoffs attendance wise, uh, where you know if you if you make it and you kind of have that aura of a successful team, then you draw better the next year. So when I say that I'm against a trade deadline, is this the natural endpoint of that? And it, do I need to reconsider? Is this the slippery slope where it's going? And does it ruin baseball? <sighs> I don't. I don't know that this. I mean, what if you got four of these? But what if you also got <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> what if you just had your entire lineup replaced? But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's. It's a danger. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, your your argument was yesterday that that teams should just be allowed to do what they want, right? That they act rationally, and so if they are willing to do this, then then we should let them. But. Uh, it could. It does feel like it could potentially get out of control a little bit. It feels. It feels like we're talking about something that's out of control. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it's too dangerous. Maybe we're not ready for this. Uh huh. <laughs> um, okay. The next question uh, is another hypothetical. I know some of you. Some of you love the hypothetical questions that we get, and some of you don't. Uh, but it seems like the people who actually submit emails to us really love the hypothetical questions because. Half of them are are of this nature. So this one comes from Doug. Uh, he says, let's say you drop the 2013 versions of Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, and the entire 2013 Cubs front office in 1908 with everything they have in 2013 and the power to make baseball decisions for the team. How many World Series do you think the Cubs could win going forward? This presumes they have all of their current knowledge about sabermetrics, but not who any of the players were. Uh, technology, scouting department, resources, etc., and every other team remains as they are. I realize front office value is drastically affected by pre-free agency, so it may make sense to start the discussion at the beginning in the mid-1970s, 
but you got to figure this knowledge alone would give the Cubbies at least 10 to 15 titles. No. In other words, what is the value of a replacement front office? Mm-hmm. There was a uh, there was a Reddit once about uh, how how much of an advantage you would have if you were uh, somehow able to time travel to like the like the 14th century, like whether you would be an advantage because like you know about iPods and stuff. And it was burned <laughs> somewhere. It, well, it was that was sort of the 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 theme of the thread is that it was almost impossible to find any advantage that you would have. Basically, the only thing that you would have that they don't that you know that that for the average person could actually use because like I don't know how to right. I don't know how to generate you know right like most of us are using idiots. common materials so right we could We're, we could exactly. describe these things but we couldn't actually build them right so. there are people who have you know niche niche skills that could probably be useful but yes. for for most of, the one thing that you would have is you would wash your hands and just that would like increase your survival like a million times and you could you could like create this like if you could like, get soap you could create this dominant race of uh, a dominant uh, city like a village mm-hmm. just by uh just by you know telling everybody to wash their hands and boil their water mm-hmm. like that's it that's all you have to do but that's also all you can do like you don't have batteries and you don't know how to make them because right. you're a, an idiot <laughs> yes um but this is so, different because this, is this presumes this is... that, that you have the technology somehow. Yeah, I was. I'm trying to think if there would be like what disadvantages would they have? What are, do you think there are disadvantages that they would have uh, uh, going back there? Well, I guess maybe no one would trade with them uh, because they would be scared of their crazy space age technology. Um, so they might have I difficulty mean, with relationships and well. Every it seems like every once you know every so often somebody comes along and talks about how they could you know win like like Maury Wills uh, in the 80s early 80s wrote a book uh, might have been before that about how you know everybody in baseball was dumb and if he were a manager he could win like 25 more games simply by being a smarter manager and like you know I don't know what I don't I don't remember what it was but it was like you know various combinations of small ball and non small ball and and. Uh, you know, he became a manager, and it was one of the most disastrous <laughs> one-year managerial experience experiments ever. And um, you know, uh, like various sort of like proto sabermetricians have made huge claims that then end up getting walked way back. Um, I mean, my suspicion is that there's not. First off, on the field, there's not much they could do. That like you could tell them not to bunt, and that would save you a couple runs a month, maybe. And you could have a better lineup, and that would save you, you well, know, a couple runs a month. But you really, where sabermetrics matters, I mean, and where, you, could, you could teach your pitchers pitches that don't exist yet. Um. Well, sort. I couldn't. I, I couldn't. No. But the entire Cubs front office, probably someone could. The entire. Yeah, but I think this question is really more about the front office and less about the coaching staff. Yeah. Don't, don't you? Yes. But so even so, I'm guessing there's someone in the front office who could teach a pitcher how to, you know, grip a baseball and throw something. Yeah. We need a time frame put on this, (laughs) uh, because I don't know that you could teach somebody to throw it. Well, you probably, if they've never seen the pitch, you don't have to throw a very good slider for instance, Mm but, um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's not that much you can do strategy wise on the field. You can only pick up a you know a little bit here and there, and I and like like the question notes the 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 free agency model that uh, you know a lot of uh, analysis centers on wouldn't exist, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much it would help drafting. Um, you certainly you wouldn't have any of the 
kind of data that the, you wouldn't have like the, the thousands of scout. I mean, back when you read about what scout, well, there wasn't even really scouting in 1908, but when you read about the scouting in like the 1920s and thirties, it's just, you know, it's really much more about being willing to, you know, ride your bike 500 miles than it is about any kind of expertise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Theo is not going to be any more able to ride a bike 500 miles than anybody else. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and state that I think that any answer is going to be exaggerated and not true. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, you could start a farm system, uh, 20 you hire years, a doctor. 30 I mean, years you, before anyone else did that. Yeah. Um, if you hired it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Starting a farm system. It, again, this is like a timeline thing, right? If we're talking about one season and it starts tomorrow, yeah, right. you can't do that. <laughs> if you're talking about inheriting a team and you're, you have it for a decade, then yeah, you would start off, you'd do what branch Ricky did. And that would build, I mean, you know, Branch Rickey's farm system essentially, you know, carried the Cardinals for like four decades. I mean, they were so far ahead of everybody. So if you did that, that would be probably the best thing you could do. That's probably the answer. That's the best thing you could do. Nelson Cruz has a bruised left quad, by the way. That's why he left the game. Uh-huh. Um, Just like A-Rod. Suspicious. Um, <laughs> so I have often kind of wondered, like, if you if you stuck one of us uh, in a, in a front office, like, I don't know, say in the seventies, like pre B pre Bill James, um, and just knowing what we know, but not having access to current technology or anything, just, just the, the accumulated knowledge that we have, uh, and, and a team would actually listen to us and trust us. How much of a difference could we make? Um, because, I mean, if we had the the stats that that we have now, I feel like we could make a big difference, but we wouldn't have those stats and they would be tough to to calculate and tough to, I mean, you couldn't, you you could, you could calculate a guy's OBP and look at that when no one else is looking at it maybe, but you couldn't, you couldn't do uh, some of the things that depend on like every play being charted. Um, no, but you could do everything that the A's were doing in 2002 short of the – it might take some work. You could probably do what they were doing with defense, but that would take more work. But everything else mm-hmm. is basically there for you. Yeah. And you uh, – yeah, and you would hmm, – I don't know. That uh, That's a good question. I would guess that just you – I would guess that you could probably add uh, – uh, after three years of running a team, you mm-hmm. could improve a team by eight wins annually. Maybe more. Maybe more. I might say more. I'd like to think more. Maybe I'm overrating us. That is kind of crazy to think that like all the teams in the 70s could have been maybe 15 or 20 wins better. <laughs> yeah. Like like if – do you think that's true? I mean was no <clears> – <throat> there were smart teams. I mean the you know the Orioles were doing kind of yeah. uh, some – proto saber metrics in their scouting and player development departments yeah. and i mean teams were doing interesting things so yeah and you don't it would only take one team being you know that smart and and that's the thing you think it would show up yeah and in the first scenario no one could in the the two the 1908 with 2013 technology scenario no one could copy Magic. you really yeah. uh because they wouldn't have the same technology but in Every other scenario, going back, uh, if you had a little success, then everyone would start doing what you were doing, and it wouldn't last that long. But I don't know if the if the early 2000s or late 1990s A's could 
make the playoffs several times on a, a low payroll doing this sort of thing, then I feel like you could probably do even better than that 20, 30 years earlier. I've actually changed my mind. I'm now going to say that in 1908, you could win 20 more games very simply. And it's simply uh, using your pitching staff like a modern pitching staff, hiring a doctor, and uh, telling your hitters Although, to all try to hit home runs. Not that, I mean, you couldn't find a doctor who could perform Tommy you, John surgery. No, certainly, but so. just ha- having having somebody who asked if your arm hurt. That's it. Just a guy. And does your arm hurt guy? <laughs> uh, yes, no. Just a questionnaire. That's it. Yeah. Does your arm hurt? <laughs> uh, I figured asking the pitchers if their arm hurt is worth probably six wins a year. <laughs> but, I mean, if you told these, if, if instead of having pitchers throw 550 innings, I feel like if you just went out and got 12 pitchers and did what you know pitchers do today and told them strike everybody out and then you told your hitters try to hit home runs they're not the you know they're not the devil's work like we've been telling you yeah although dead ball i don't know that you could do that maybe i guess babe ruth could yeah yeah uh all right uh okay let's do this one uh this comes from mike uh uh, okay, this this I guess will be a quick trade deadline related one, and kind of we touched on it yesterday. Uh, do you think a GM would talk to Ken Rosenthal or John Heyman to tell them that they would listen on player X? Yes. You, yes. <laughs> yes. So it goes on for a while about that and whether a GM would do that, and and yes, that is that's exactly what happens. Not necessarily always a, a GM, but someone. Uh, acting on the the GM's orders, so yeah, you want. I mean, you you. I wonder how much the reporters care. I mean, they, certainly the reporters know that probably a lot of this stuff is put out there, you know, specifically to put it out there, and that they're being used. And I I don't know if they care. I don't know if that is an ethical thing or not. I I think maybe because it's baseball, and who cares at all mm-hmm. that it's not like any information mm-hmm. is like fine whatever it's just baseball mm-hmm. yeah uh and i it always surprises me the extent to which things will leak or or the amount of things that people with with baseball teams will tell the press and this is one of the scenarios at least where you can see why there would be some value to that with these these rumor monger guys who are reporting all the all the news it's it's because they want to float offers or float players who are available and also maybe find out who's looking for something else. And it's just an information exchange. Um, although I, I feel like if I were, if I were in a front office, I'd be so paranoid. Like, like when we are, our, our prospect staff talks to the scouts all the time and scouts will give us quotes about players. And I feel like if I were a scout, I would be way too paranoid to talk to anyone about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. And now this one's from Eric. I was just curious what happens with the money owed to a player who is suspended. With A-Rod perhaps looking at losing about $30 million, I wonder where does the money go? I assume the Yankees don't just get to keep it, right? That could create some ugly situations where teams could be happy when albatrosses get suspended. Does it go towards a charity or a special fund? I apologize for the lack of whimsy in this one. Yeah, I... um... I don't have a conclusive answer on this. I spent some time trying to figure it out, and uh, it doesn't look like the collective bargaining agreement addresses it, so far as I can tell. And 
um, fines generally uh, in sports go to charity, and there's protocol for deciding which charity uh, it goes to and who decides which charity it goes to. Uh, but I don't see any suggestion really anywhere that suggests that suspensions are the same. Um, and in fact, when Ozzy Guillen got suspended for his Cuba comments, um, the Marlins on their own, now he's not a player, but the Marlins on their own uh, went ahead and donated it to like some human rights mm-hmm. kind of charity, like befitting the crime or whatever it was that right. Ozzy Guillen had. Mm-hmm. But again, he's not a player, so that's significant. Um, I do know that um, Dan Brooks asked somebody who knows uh, whether the Yankees would still have to pay A-Rod if he got released before the suspension Mm -hmm. and the answer was that yes they would have to pay him right now that doesn't answer the question because they might have to put the money into the pot um or they might you know have to i guess well so yeah i mean gosh so i'm getting confused i'm confusing myself but Mm -hmm. uh they well okay so i guess that doesn't really i haven't thought that out i don't know if that answers anything um but Eric is right. I mean, this came up because Dan and I were talking about the um, conflict of interest that a team would have in this case and mm-hmm. whether a team would, you know, happily rat out one guy on the team and maybe not the others. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like there should be a protocol. Now, I'll, I'm going to continue trying to find out. And if I find out the actual answer tomorrow, mm-hmm. I'll update you. Okay. Um, but, I mean, there's a huge, 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 huge interest in the Yankees having this. Yes, this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, it's and it seems kind of weird and unfair. And I've been wondering, I, I mean, I've been wondering for the last few days before uh, Eric brought it up and made me wonder whether it's going to charity, whether this would be happening, whether the lifetime ban would be happening if A-Rod were a guy making you know, three million a year or whether this is specifically because the league slash one of the owners in the league has such a financial interest in it. I mean, a hundred million dollars can make you do some kind of unethical stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much, if any of this uh, would, is simply, you know, a a business decision to get out from under that huge, 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 huge debt, Mm -hmm. huge liability that they have. And, it might be the case that um, none of it is, and it might be the case that the money would go to charity anyway. Um, but I would want to know that. I would think that MLB would be uh, would want to be out in front of it if it were the case that it's going to charity. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we'll keep looking into it, or someone will will email and tell us the answer, as often happens. Um, okay. This one got a couple more. This one comes from Chris. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, The Economist ran a piece on the game theory behind doping in sports. The conclusion of the article was that athletes cheat because the drug screening processes don't do a good job of catching cheaters. The authors argue that those administering the testing have incentive to skimp on drug tests in order to save face, quote, the fear of how customers would react if more thorough testing did reveal near-universal cheating, which anecdotal evidence suggests that in some sports it might. Better to test sparingly and expose from time to time what is apparently the odd bad apple rather than do the job thoroughly and find the whole barrel is spoiled and your sport has suddenly vanished in a hailstorm of disqualifications, end quote. Why do you think Major League Baseball is so much more willing than other sports to eradicate banned substances from the game despite all of the brand tarnishing associated with it? 
quick quick thought about the the suspended money. I wonder if if it does go to charity. I wonder who gets the tax write off. Like, does because if the team gets a tax write off, then that would also be worth tens and tens of millions of dollars for mm-hmm. them. Uh, okay, so uh, the question is, why is MLB more willing to suspend uh, to yeah. tarnish its brand? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess we're willing to to take a hard line with this stuff with with that risk. I think that uh, there's a. I think that there are two philosophies on uh, deterrence. One is that you deter crime by having extremely uh, strict penalties. And the other, which I subscribe to, is that you deter crime from uh, by having certainty of penalties, by basically making it certain that you're going to get caught. Mm-hmm. And um, so baseball is trying to do both, I think. Um, and I sort of appreciate that. I actually come down kind of, I think, in uh, Bud Selig's court on a lot of uh, a lot of the things that have been going on lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the idea is that... Um, Drug testing is a, a terribly flawed system. It's the best that they have, but it's really flawed. And um, so that's why they investigate these things, and that's uh, why they sort of don't draw the line at a positive test. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just want to sort of – I think that they're kind of inching to a point where if you are even whispered about uh, or if you are suspected by you know opposing teams – they will investigate it and um, and and you know like they're gonna sort of do everything they can to make it seem impossible to get around because the the, the all the biogenesis stuff coming out in a lot of ways it really points out how limited testing is because a lot of these guys didn't test positive even mm-hmm. though they were presumably doing drugs so in a, in a way it's it's this big wake-up call to major league baseball that if they don't go crazy over it that the message that they're sending to people is our to, to players themselves is our system doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. You can probably get away with it for a long time, and we don't have any other avenue to get you. And uh, so once the biogenesis stuff sort of fell into their laps, they really didn't have much choice. It was yeah. either mm-hmm. it was either uh, severely weaken um, the um, perception of their testing program, or severely strengthen. And kind of do this big power grab and say, you know, we're going to take it more seriously than any sport in the world. And that's the only way that we'll ever know that players are clean. I don't think that's going to work. I think the players are going to always be suspected of being dirty anyway. I, I, I think that uh, as long as one guy is getting away with it, um, they're, we're always going to assume that 100 are. Um, but it's a, it's a theory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. And I know, I mean... This, some of some aspects of the story seem a little unsavory, uh, and you know the lengths that that MLB went to to get this information, and the people it had to work with to get this information. But uh, it's hard to see what other great option they had. I, I mean, it's been a, a popular sentiment that now that there's a testing in program or testing program in place, we should just let that do its thing uh, and not go go outside the bounds of that to, to look for people who are doing other things. But, but that seems sort of silly. I mean, it, it'd be, it'd be great if that worked and if the test were perfect and, and they'll continue to, to try to make it that way uh, and make the testing tougher and tougher and more accurate and more accurate. And, you know, like they added HDH testing for this season. 
Um, but as long as there are ways to get around it and you know about those ways, uh, then, I mean, you, you almost have to look for ways to supplement the testing or else your testing has no teeth, really. Why don't we ever disagree? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that you and I hold a majority opinion on this. And you and I have never talked about it with each other, really. Well, we did do a show when this stuff first came out. Uh, and I don't know if we've changed our, our tune at all since then. I can't really remember what we said. But, but yeah, that, I mean, as, as uncomfortable as maybe I am with some of the, the way this went down, it, it, I mean, it seems like kind of making the best of a, a bad situation. Um, yeah, I, I think at the time when, when we wondered why Major League Baseball was so intent on getting its best players off the field, I kind of expected us to all react a lot worse to the suspensions. I mean, they just, they happen, and we kind of, like, have a field day with them for a day, and then it's like, oh, Ryan Braun's gone for the season. Like, baseball's still pretty good today without Ryan Braun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's interesting how kind of easily they go down. Like, I don't know that, I don't know, uh, Craig Calcaterra said the other day, like, uh, lifetime bans sound like a great idea until people start getting banned for life, Mm -hmm. and that feels true to me. And so I don't know how I'll feel if they start getting like really crazy. But also, it doesn't seem out of the question that lifetime bans might actually like be something we got used to pretty quickly. I mean, they happen in a lot of sports. I can't imagine. Although sports we don't care about. Can't imagine many people mourning A Rod's career except for tabloid columnists. Um, no, but I mean, a I guy mean, like Braun, be... if, if somehow Braun got suspended, then mm-hmm. I mean, he would, it would be like Joe Jackson, right? It would yeah, be, right. Uh, you know, a, a potential Hall of Fame career stopped right when it was about to be a Hall of Fame career. It would, it, w- it would be kind of brutal. And then, of course, the problem with a lifetime ban is that that guy lives for like 70 more years. He doesn't, he doesn't disappear. He lives. Mm-hmm. And even after he would be retired, he's still alive making noise about being banned. You know I mean? Pete Rose <laughs> yes, is right. Pete Rose. Like the, the ban was like the, it wasn't that, it probably wasn't that hard for like the first five years, but it's like, he's still around. Like we're <laughs> stuck with this guy forever now. And he was already if, retired. At if the they'd time, suspended so. him for two years, <laughs> The suspension would have ended, and we would have never heard from him again, mm-hmm. except for the one day that he got elected into Cooperstown. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And I I guess when the story originally surfaced, I was sort of skeptical that this stuff would stand up, which was part of uh, why I was a little dubious about it. It just seemed like kind of a, an unreliable source and some names written on pieces of paper and, and didn't seem like something that would that players would ever accept. Uh but clearly, the information was was pretty good, it seems. Uh, mm-hmm. So, in retrospect, uh, kind of makes sense. Okay, uh, last one. If we can squeeze this in before Sam's battery dies, uh, which is about to do. Um, this one is from Sadab Janab. I hope I pronounced that right because he he put in parentheses after his name. Don't pronounce my name wrong. Uh, he says, I'm a longtime listener of the show. I always have amazing questions to ask, but I always forget them by the time I get to a computer. So you'll just have to make do with this one for now. I've only been a baseball fan for about five years. I live in England, so I'm still getting used to who's who and what's what. Your show and the thought-provoking topics you bring up have been a huge factor in my learning, which sort of scares me if he's learning from us. Uh, I am nominally a White Sox fan, 
although this season I've begun to follow the Orioles and Pirates, just because this whole season is already a dead rubber for the White Sox, and there's nothing worse than sports without competition. Uh, excellent cricket term, dead rubber. Um, except perhaps infuriating anachronistic relics. I love Hawk Harrelson. His turns of phrases and obscene partisanship always makes me smile, but there is a point where you just have to ignore him. Uh, so his question is, what other things are there in baseball that are ostensibly and empirically stupid, but that you have to begrudgingly admit the game is still better for having? Well, not Hawk Harrelson. <laughs> I, I will never get on the... There's this, old, there's this saying that uh, uh, if, they, if they survive long enough, all... Uh, pol politicians, prostitutes, and buildings gain respectability, mm -hmm. and I I see this is happening with Hawk. There's this movement to make Hawk like a legend. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> never. Uh -huh. Not doing it. Uh, bless his heart. Don't mind that he has a job. It's really easy for me to switch to the other feed. But I tell you that moment <laughs> when I turn on MLB TV and I click on the White Sox game and I accidentally just click home team <laughs> just for like that split second. Mm -hmm. It's like the that's the, the worst moment of my week. Um, probably a great guy. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. What was the question? Oh, yeah. Things that are empirically stupid but I like anyway. Well, the postseason is empirically stupid. Uh, it doesn't make any sense for determining the best team mm -hmm. um, to the point where you have to just assume that it's not even trying at this point. <laughs> and I love it. It's a, it's a spectacular month. And I was just uh, today thinking about how fun October is going to be when we're you know, writing about every single game. Yes. You know, like, I like that. That's fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, 16 games just happened. 15. 15 games just happened. Uh, no, 16. 17? I think 17 games happened today. Mm -hmm. And they all just disappear. And uh, the postseason's great because they don't. Mm -hmm. They they uh, they all get written about. Um, and so I love the postseason. And that's about the only thing I could think of. I like, uh, I like umpire manager arguments. Many of them, a, many of them are completely unnecessary. If we had a, a more, you know, an expanded replay system, which I support, uh, most of those arguments would disappear because you could just check the replay instead of yelling at each other and kicking dirt and throwing caps and everything. But uh, I enjoy those. I don't. I do sort of like. I, I I wouldn't manage my team this way, but I do like the closer. Like, I, I actually enjoy the spectacle of the closer coming out in the ninth inning. Uh -huh. I w if I ran a team, I would be perfectly happy to have 29 other teams do it, and I don't. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do kind of like that. Closer's fun. It, I think, uh, it could be a, a spectacle if you just had a guy come in whenever the jam was. You just you know, yeah, I generally like roles. Like, I like players in roles, and they're almost always things that, like, again, I would try to get away from if it were my team. But I like the speedy leadoff hitter. You know, I like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like pretty much anybody who has a role. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. We're done? Sure. Okay. Uh, we're done. Thank you for sending us so many questions. You can send more at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Thank you for rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, please do that if you haven't yet. And we are also accepting sponsors, uh, which is something that feel weird about actually saying but it's a thing uh if you if you would like us to advertise something for you we are willing to do that uh probably so you can email us about that and we'll be back tomorrow with maybe some trade deadline discussion